we're going to do, young people, we're going to do a skit or whatever. But I feel like I'm, I'm supposed to share this word that, I was, that God spoke to me last night. And, and, um, and, and it's amazing because tomorrow's Valentine's Day, and we all know about Valentine's. But let me back it up with a little history that a lot of you guys might not know about Valentine's. If you could just stick with me for a little bit. I, I really feel like the only thing that will transform your life is not another message. You don't need another message. You don't need another sermon. You don't need another great worship team because we've had it. We've had the winter camp. We've had the, the conferences. We've, and you've heard me say this a billion times. Um, but here's what you got to have. If you don't have his love, you've got nothing. And a lot of us, the reason why we're struggling this morning, the reason why it's so hard to even press into his presence in a corporate atmosphere is because we haven't encountered his love in a long time. We've encountered religion. We've encountered church. We've encountered winter camps, but we've missed his love. And the only thing that will sustain you is having a sustained relationship with him that his love is constantly being poured into you. His love's got to be poured into you or your commitment will not last. Because let me tell you, friend, this thing with Jesus, this relationship, this thing that we say that isn't a religion but it's a relationship, this thing needs emotions. This thing needs passion. This thing needs you. You need to become, I preached a message on Friday, said um, from John 4 with the woman at the well, she went from a whore to a stalker. You need to go and become a stalker of God. Just creepy. Like, just check out his Facebook and just, like, check out every comment he's got and all this. Jesus doesn't have a Facebook. So Eunice is like, man, I should add him. No, but, but here's what I'm saying. You got to know every part of him. You got to go after him because here's the thing about God. God is very, um, one of his favorite games to play in life is hide and go seek. Because here's what God will do. God will show you a little bit of himself and he'll tease you and then he'll go hide himself and say, are you desperate enough to find the rest of me? Because God is just like that trailer. You ever see, a, um, it's like this, you ever see a trailer of a movie and then you go, man, that movie looks awesome. You go see it at the IMAX, you pay your $15 and then after you see it, you go, man, that sucked. Anybody ever experienced that before? A couple of us, right? Um, but you ever see a movie where you see the previews, and the previews aren't that exciting. You still go see the movie anyway, and then it was awesome. That's happened to me a couple times. Here's what God does. God says, I'll show you a preview of who I am. The preview will be absolutely amazing, enticing, but when you see the rest of the movie, it'll be even more enticing and more amazing than the preview ever was. But are you desperate enough to see the real movie, or are you just going to stick with the preview? You know what the preview looks like? It looks like one week at a winter camp where you get touched by the power of God, you get slain, you get filled up with the Holy Ghost, you start speaking in tongues, you get empowered, and then you know what the real deal is? When you wake up Monday morning after the youth camp is over and you, you decide, I saw the preview this last weekend. Do I really want the real deal? Oh. You hear what I'm saying this morning? Three of us, awesome. Man, I, I, I'm just going to talk a little bit. Um, Look at Revelation chapter 2. Let's turn there real quick. I, this is why it's so good to know the Bible because you can just pick it up and say, man, this is where it's at this morning. Revelation chapter 2. I, I want to talk to you. If I were to title this message this morning anything, it'd be flirting with God again. Flirting with God again. Revelations, that's uh, somewhere after Genesis. If you don't need to, uh, if you don't know what Revelations is, we just need to have a Bible study, you and me personally. Oh, man. 
God, I thank you for your love. And oh, I feel like dancing. It's foolishness, I know. But when the world has seen the light, they will dance with joy like we're dancing now. You ever have a friend who's absolutely in love, infatuated with his girlfriend or their boyfriend or hopefully not both? Um, um, but they're so, they're so in love that they're annoying. You ever see that? Like, David, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, you ever see somebody who's absolutely in love with that person that they're in a relationship with that they're annoying because every time you get around them, all they want to talk about is that person, right? It's like, or when they don't talk about that person, all, all that ever happens is that they want to be with that person. Like, they don't even hang out as much anymore, right? Some of the guys are coughing like they've actually been in a relationship. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but, but you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, it's, it's annoying because either when they're with you, they can't stop talking about that person. And then even when they're not around, they're always with that person. Man, that's how I feel about God. Like, I can't have a conversation without bringing up Jesus. That's just the way it is. And I don't mean to be religious or nothing. I'm just in love. Oh, <laughs> my God. All right, Revelation chapter 2. Catch this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the, in the right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Basically, he's saying in verse 1, this is, the, this is on behalf of the God who owns the world. Jesus is talking. And if you got red letters, you see that this is in red letters because Jesus is talking. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Catch this out. Jesus is complimenting the church of Ephesus. He's saying, what an amazing job that you've done. You've not tolerated wickedness when people come in and they want to sleep around and be on the worship team. You just don't let it happen. When people are liars and they want to become deacons, you just don't let it happen. You, get, you take care of sin and you take care of it quickly. Not only that, everything that you're doing is amazing. If I were to look from the outside at the perfect church, this would be a perfect church because all your deeds are awesome. You are doing everything right on the outside. You got your scriptures down. You got to memorize. You're praying. You're having Bible study all over the city. You are doing amazing stuff. Your deeds are awesome, Church of Ephesus. Catch this, though. Verse 4. Yet, I hold... Wait, and wait, before I go there, look at what it says in verse 3. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You do all this stuff and you don't even get tired. You're having Bible studies all over the place. You're preaching the gospel. You're doing all this great stuff and you're not getting tired. Has anybody ever really been consistent with the Lord and committed to the Lord? And if you're like me, you just get tired, like physically worn out. If you really go for it in God, you'll be physically tired. But catch what he's saying to the church of Ephesus. You're doing everything awesome. You got a banging worship team. You got banging preachers. You don't tolerate Jezebel. And you're not even tired at doing it. Some of us are tired this morning from worshiping for like 20 minutes. We're like yawning and sleepy, right? But catch this. He says, you do all this and you're not even tired. Look at verse 4. And this is when it gets like dangerous. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And in some of your scriptures it says you have forsaken your first love. Consider, in verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will replace your lampstand from its place. But you, have th ha but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of, 
whoever that guy is, which I also hate. So catch this. Here's what Jesus is saying. You do everything great. Here's the only problem I got against you. You've lost your first love. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but one of the, uh, when I've only been in one relationship, semi-relationship, you can even call it, um, in my whole life. And, you know, she had all the three categories, hot, holy, and Latina. If you ever want to know what to pray for in Pastor Dell's wife, future wife, just pray for hot, holy, and Latina. Um, but this girl was hot, holy, and Latina. We were together, and it was great. Um, and, and this weird thing happened. I would go a lot with, you guys know Pastor Joe, right? Yeah. Talk to me. You guys know Pastor Joe, right? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you don't have to be mad. <laughs> Dang. Um, uh, me and Pastor Joe, we would travel a lot together. We'd go do camps together. Um, he got annoyed at me. He got so mad at me, cause, and, and he couldn't take it anymore. And finally, this one morning, 5 a.m., I'm texting uh, you know, my girl, my little chica, uh, you know, Cupcake, as we called each other. She called me uh, Muffin Top instead of Cupcake. Um, <laughs> but um, we're texting back and forth, and finally, Joe just gets mad. He goes, dude, it's 5 in the freaking morning. You don't even get up that early to pray. And back then, Pastor Joe was single, so I was like, dude, you don't even understand. You don't know anything about love, you old, unmarried guy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty me. Um, um, but, but I remember we would text all the time, and when we didn't text, because there was a period of time where she didn't have a phone, I would send messages to her Facebook, and we'd send them back and forth as if they were texting. And I remember when I would miss, like, I'd be on my phone all the time, just waiting for the next one, like, oh. Come on, bring it. Come, like some of you guys do with like, um, you know, the next video game or, you know, Justin Bieber concert, Esther. Um, but um, I, was, I was there and, and I was just waiting for the next one. And I remember one night this thing hit me where I was on the bed and I was getting ready to go to sleep. And I remember texting her. And my relationship with God was, you know, you know, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't the greatest it had ever been. But I remember texting her this one time. And I was just texting her, you know, I love you and I'm so glad to know you, glad to have you in my life. I wasn't sexting. Dirty sexting sinners. By the way, that's just, if you're sexting, you need to repent and, and come to know Jesus. But anyway, I'm texting. Listen up. I'm texting her, and I, and I take the text because this is so important. I take the text, and I text her, and then I put down my phone. And you know what God said to me when I put down my phone? He said, Dell, I miss when you used to text me. I said, God, you don't have AT&T. God said to me, he said, Dell, I remember when you first got saved, you couldn't get away from me. I remember when you first got saved, you go to every winter camp, you go to every conference, you go to every church meeting, you go to the, or I would show up at, at eight years old, I would show up to early morning prayer in a black church, which nobody came except for four old back fat ladies, and it's because they had nothing better to do, and they were awake really early. But I would show up there because I was absolutely in love and I wanted God to know that I was in love with him and I would give him all these wonderful gifts and I did all these great things. And now as a professional Christian, 24 years old, 23 years old, I'm standing before the Lord as I'm texting and I put down this phone and God says, I miss the way you used to be. I miss the way our relationship used to be. I, I miss how you would come down to the altar call for anything. They can make an altar call for fat people, and I was down there. They can make an altar call for skinny people, and I was down there. It could be against adultery, and I'm not even married, and I'm down there like, bam, God, I'm just an adulterer. Just save me. Whatever it was, I would be at the altar, and, and God said, I miss those times. Because now that you're a professional Christian, now that you know how to do church, you don't, you, you're, you've lost passion. And it's interesting because when we look in the book of Revelation, the second chapter, he says that you do everything well, that if I look at you from the outside, everything that you do is good. You are committed to me, but here's the thing I have against you. You have lost passion. 
And a relationship without passion is nothing less than religion. And most of us, we don't see our relationship with God as a marital relationship, but one of the relationships that God describes us as, as we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. We are married to him. And he says, I don't mind the fact that you're married to me and that you're with me, but here's what I got against you, that in the midst of you doing all that you're doing and all the great stuff, going to conferences all over the world, hosting stuff, seeing young people saved, seeing young people delivered, and, and then seeing you know, your youth group, whatever, um, in all of that, I don't mind everything that you do, but here's the problem I got, that you do all of it and you've forgotten to love me. You, you love me a little bit, but you don't love me like you used to. You love, you, you lust me because you love the presence that comes on you when you worship me. You lust me because you love the platforms that I create for you to minister to thousands of people. You lust me because you love how you can travel in my name, but you have forgotten to love me. What's the difference between lust and love? Lust says, I love you and I like you because of what you can do for me. Love says, if you never do another thing for me, I'm still connected and committed to you. And the problem with our generation and why we can't consistently be in love with Jesus is because we are surrounded by people who don't know what love is. We love food. We love pho. We, we love Justin Bieber, who has about as much talent as an ant in hell, right? And... Um, we, we, love, we love stuff. We use the word love like it's nothing. Man, I love that restaurant. I, I love that thing. And, and then we take that same word and we tell God, I love you. We, we, we tell some idiot out there who just wants to slip his hand up our skirt that we love him. And then we use that same term to say, God, I love you. You know why? It's because you've gotten love confused with lust. I had a young person come up to me one time, 14 years, 13, 14 years old. Said, Pastor Dell, I know you're against relationships when we're in you know, middle school. I'm like, that's because you're an idiot. He said, I know you're against relationships when you're in middle school, um, but the thing you don't understand is that I love this girl. I said, you just found out that you like girls. 13 years old, slapping myself. Can you even spell relationship? He said to me, no, Pastor Dell, you don't get it. I love this girl. I said, no, you don't love this girl. You like the way that her skin is wrapped around her skeletal frame. You like the goodness and mercy that is following her all the days of her life. I said, you don't love her, brother. You know what your problem is? You've gotten love confused with lust. You don't love her. You lust her. You like the way that people look at you when you're walking down the street with a pretty girl. You like the way that people say, is that really your girlfriend because she's so hot? You don't really like her. You like the way that her lips feel against your lips. You like the way that you get to rub up against her. You like the way that you get to hold on to her hand. You don't love her. You lust her because you like her for the things that she does for you. Now, now if she were to get run over and crippled for the rest of her life and couldn't walk, would you still be in a relationship with her? And he goes, well, uh... Um, uh, well, I don't know. And she's looking like, yeah, would you be in a relationship with me? <laughs> he's like, oh, um, oh my gosh, you won't be in a relationship? And he's like, um, uh, you know, you know I love you, girl. No, you lust me, <laughs> right? And she starts going off on him, right? And another problem with the reason why we don't understand what love is is because the, the, the culture that we live in doesn't understand that love takes commitment. Over 51% of people in the church, not outside the church, but 51% and know that the rate in the church is higher than the rate outside the church. But 51% of those who are in the church married get divorced and their relationships end. When they said till death do us part, they didn't really mean it. 
And it's because your celebrities, the one that you look up to, they get married like they're in a dating relationship, like it's a prom date. It lasts for six months and then they give up because they didn't realize that love takes commitment. Love is more than just words. It's action. You say, God, I love you. And you know what God says back to you? He doesn't say thank you. He doesn't say I love you back. You know what he says back to you? He says, prove it. And most of you are good at lip action. And if you're like me, you know how to do it. If you're like me, you were raised in church. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. And you know how to do church. You know to jump at the fast part of the course. You know when to lift your hands. And you know when the slow songs come, you turn your hands this way because you're spiritual and you want to receive from the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know how to do church. But you're like what Jesus said to the people, that your words and your mouth is close to me, but your heart is far from me. And you have a form of godliness. You have a form of relationship. And my fear is that we will spend our whole life faking it like we had a relationship with God and then spend eternity knowing that we didn't have a relationship with him. Have, have you lost your first love? Have, have you forgotten what it was like when you first got hardcore with the Lord? Have you, have you even had that experience yet? Have you had the experience that when you get so in love, you don't care what people think, all you can do is tell people about Jesus? I remember when God t- touched my life in a dramatic way. I was in 10th grade, just graduated. I was addicted, or I said just graduated, but I would just turned from 10th grade and going into 11th grade, and I had just gotten delivered from all this sexual stuff and all these addictions and all this pornography and everything. And I remember um, when God touched my life, I felt so much love that I no longer felt shame. I no longer felt guilt. One of the first things that he will do is he'll take away guilt and condemnation. That's why it says in John 3, 16, that for God to love the world, that, who, um, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have an everlasting life. 16 is about love. 17, verse 17 in chapter 3 is about the result of love. He says, for Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. So if you're loved, you're no longer condemned. When I experience the love of Christ, I no longer have fear, and I no longer have condemnation. And so Andy, people would walk up to me and be like, uh, Brother Dell, how are you doing? And I'd be like, dude, God is so good. I just got delivered from pornography. And and I'm not having sex anymore, and I was having so much sex, and people would look at me like, okay, um, uh, I'm going to go get some donuts. <laughs> Why? What happened? Because Jesus came into my life, and I describe it this way. For the first time after I had up, gotten up from that altar call, I felt like Jesus had come on the inside of me, washed the walls of my heart, and I no longer felt shame. I felt like somebody had come inside me, and they had washed my heart with bleach, and I was clean and white as snow. Jesus in his love brings purity. If you're still bound by fear, it's because you're not bound by love. See, you're going to be bound by something. And I know how it is, and can we just talk real for a second? You know how I am. In Korean communities, we don't know what love is because we don't experience it as much as we need to in our homes. Most of us have been told our whole lives that we're loved, and we've never been told by the mouth even, but we've been told by our parents giving us stuff. We've been told by our parents buying us a new car. By them putting us into a nice school, by them giving us a five-bedroom house, and we've interpreted that as love. And so when Jesus, when God doesn't provide and answer every call like we ask him to, we think that he no longer loves you. Let me tell you, friend, love is not so much him giving stuff for you. It's him giving himself for you. That's why it says in the Bible, and, and we read it this morning, no greater love has a man than this, that he would give his life for a friend. Have you gotten the revelation that Jesus loved you before you were even saved? While you were yet sinners, he loved you and he died for you because he loves you that kind of way. 
One of the movies I really like is um, this movie, and it's kind of old school, but it's called Shallow How. You ever get, I don't know if you guys ever seen Shallow How. But Shallow How is this guy. He's kind of like me, just really shallow and, and you know, super hot, kind of good looking. Um, not really. He wasn't really hot. Um, but, but the problem he had is that he saw every girl, and if she wasn't super hot, like he couldn't fall in love with her. He'd be like, you are two pounds overweight. No way. <laughs> You are not a size negative one, right? He's like, Bia, I don't want you, right? So what ha- ends up happening is that he has this little incident. I don't remember all of it clearly, but he has this little incident, and he no longer can see, um, uh, be- like he sees people as they are on the inside. And so if they had a beautiful inside, he didn't see this huge woman, this ugly woman. He saw a skinny, like model-looking woman, right? Are you guys with me still? And so he would, uh, he would go through, and if this woman was ugly on the inside, she could be beautiful on the outside, but then she would appear to him really unattractive. And, and I thought about it because he ends up getting in this relationship with this girl that he thought was super hot on the outside, but what he didn't know was that she was hot on the inside, but he wasn't, she wasn't hot on the outside. She was ugly. She was nasty. She was overweight. He ends up falling in love with her, and then when his eyes are open, he's like, what the heck is going on? You know how Jesus is? That Jesus looks at you with potential. That he saw you while you were still disgusting, overweight, ugly, poor, and you had nothing to offer. And he said, that's a fixer-upper right there. He, he said, that's, that's one. I, I remember one time when I was losing weight, I was 300-something pounds, you know, shut up. Um, and I was losing weight, and I put on my Facebook status, I said, ladies. I am losing weight right now rapidly. I was losing like 10 pounds every month. I was like, I am losing weight rapidly. You better get me now while I'm a fixer-upper because later on it'll be too late. Um, And I still see it's not too late. (laughs) Um. Actually, I have a Valentine's this year, but we're just friends. (laughs) So anyway, catch this. Most of us will not invest in things that you have to fix up later because we are the right now generation. We want it right now. We want the beautiful girl right now. We want the hot guy with the six-pack or Justin Bieber right now. We don't want to wait. (laughs) Right? But catch this. Jesus says, I see how sad you are. I see how pathetic you are. I see how depressed you are. I see how you don't even know your own sin. I see how you don't even know because in case you think you're all that in a bag of chips, let me tell you, your chips are stale, sweetheart. Let me tell you, if you think that you're all that, you need to take another look at yourself. We are sinners saved by grace. We are depraved in nature. We were born into sin and shaped into iniquity. I was shaped into a lot of iniquity, right? Um, and, and you got to understand that if you don't understand what you look like, you'll never get a revelation of God's love. Because if you saw how disgusting you looked in the spirit before you met Jesus, you would wonder why he even loved you because you had nothing to offer. What are you going to offer the one who, who, who sits on the throne, on the right hand of God? What are you going to offer the one whose who's, who's earth is the, is the Lord's dwelling and his footstool, the Bible says? We're going to offer him your 10%, your tithes. Oh, he walks on gold in heaven. God was never impressed with your current condition. He was always impressed by the very fact that when he made you, he made you in his image, and his image is love. The church of Ephesus 
had done everything right and they were being successful and they were doing great ministry and their church was growing. They had one of the largest churches of their day. But Jesus says to them, this is what I have against you, that you have lost your first love. You really have. And here's what I'm afraid of, that as I look across this audience and I see everybody, you know, and it's not that many of us here, many of us here have lost our first love. Many of us here, we don't even realize that Jesus could come back right now and we're not ready. We're not, right now he comes. Where are you going for eternity? Most of us think that we're promised tomorrow. And so we don't take this relationship with God seriously. And, and, and I know it's hard, and I'm not going to fake it like it's not hard. But friend, when you're in love, it makes it a lot easier. When somebody gets married, they don't kill. You know, I have this guy who's married. He said to me, he said, Dell, you know, I've never tried to kill my wife. I said, okay, that's good. He said, you know why I've never tried to kill my wife? Um because you would get arrested and go to jail? He goes, no. He said, if the only thing stopping me from trying to kill my wife is the law, then there's a bigger problem in our relationship. He said, I don't kill my wife because I'm absolutely in love with her. And many of us, we are attempting not to sin. We don't want to mess up because we don't want to go to hell. You know why I don't sin anymore? It's not because I'm not afraid of going to hell. It's because I'm afraid of breaking his heart. So I'm laying on that bed just one night texting. I put down my phone. God says, you don't text me anymore. He says, Dale, you're doing everything great. You wake up in the morning and you pray for an hour, two hours, and you read your scriptures, and, and you're, you're ministering to young people, and you're trying to go through hardships, and you've got to fight demonic gypsy names, right? Everybody knows that, right? Um, and he says, you're doing all the great stuff, but here's what I got against you. You used to text me a lot more than you texted her. I'll show you this kind of last point. It'll be my downslope to my conclusion. You ever been in love and then, um, you don't have to, to nod to this, I don't want to embarrass you, but you ever, you ever been dumped? Um, you ever put your investment, your love into someone and then they just dropped you, right? Listen up. I know what it's like to, to put so much love into this person. And I remember thinking when I was with this girl that we're going to, this is the one. She's the one. We're going to get married. I mean, she's hot, holy, and Latina. Like, that's everything right there. Like, she loves God. She loves me. We're going to go all the way. And I remember getting a phone call one night while I was in the Philippines, and she called me up. She said, hey, sweetheart. And I said, hey, what's up? She said, babe, I got to tell you something. I said, what do you want to tell me? She says, um, I got to tell you that you don't know how to receive love from God. I said, what the heck are you, do you know this phone call is costing me $3.99 a minute? She said, I got to tell you, God wants me to tell you that you don't know how to receive love from God. I said, do you know the name of my nonprofit organization? It's called Mahal. That means love. I know how to preach love. I know how to exegetically, exegetically explain love. I, what do you mean? I know, I can tell you what love is in the Greek. She says, no, Dell, you don't know how to receive love. I said, what are you talking about? She says, let me prove it. God wants to compliment you. And for about a minute and a half, she started giving me all these wonderful compliments on behalf of God. She started saying, you're amazing. You're awesome. You're wonderful. And in the first 10 seconds, I was comfortable with it. But after about 20 seconds, I began to cringe. And as I'm sitting on my bed in the fetal position, wanting her to stop, but I can't tell her to stop because Latinos are kind of crazy. I'm sitting there on the bed in the fetal position, and I'm thinking, man, I wish she would really stop complimenting me. And tears begin to roll down my eyes. She says, Del... You can't love me until you learn how to be loved. I can't love you until you're first loved by him. 
She said, it's easy to be loved from a distance, but it's hard to be loved up close and personal and intimate. And for some of us, the reason why we keep falling away and why we keep losing our first love is because we keep going back and back and back. See, a lot of us know about when Peter decided to deny Christ three times and the crow did whatever crows do. Um, but we forget that a couple of chapters earlier, the Bible says that the disciples were following Jesus, but Peter, the Bible says, was following him from afar off. See, you never fall into sin. You don't. You know what you do? You go to Walgreens, buy a shovel, go to your backyard, you dig a ditch, and then you fill it up with sin to put on your swimming suit, and you dive into sin. Some of us are on a slow slope to compromise, and I'm afraid that we're going to lose our love. I'm afraid that some of us, our love has grown cold, and, and, and we're, we're kind of like that guy who, who has a girlfriend but really doesn't think about her until Valentine's or until the anniversary or the special day. After this experience happened, I, I began to talk, about, talk to God, and I said, God, I want to I have a high school romance with you. I remember when I was in high school, and I don't know if you guys do this still, but we were idiots back in high school, and you know, couples would get together, and they'd do this like, two-day anniversary crap, and then four-day anniversary, and three-week anniversary, and three-and-a-half days anniversary. I just remember going, and I never dated in high school, but I was like, Oh, it's too expensive to be in a relationship. You got to buy chocolate every two days. And like, if you didn't, the girl was like, oh my gosh, you forgot our six and a half day anniversary. It was at this exact time, three o'clock, 3.01 p.m. And you didn't even remember. And the guy's like, uh, uh, got you quick, please. <laughs> I told God, I said, God, I want to be like that again. I said, I want, to go, I want to go back to the place where I'm sitting in a room full of people. I remember I've been in all kinds of churches. This one time I was in this church that was so boring. It was kind of Catholic-like. And I'm sitting in the room, and I'm thinking, man, this sucks. And if they sing one more hymn like that, I'm going to slap the preacher in his face. Oh, my gosh. And I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden I get distracted by Jesus. Tears begin to fall down my eyes because I started reminiscing. I started remembering how good he is. And in the midst of, you would have thought I was having my own praise and worship service by myself. So all of a sudden I started lifting my hands and tears started falling down my eyes. That's why in the midst of this worship this morning, I got so infilled with his love and I couldn't even hold it back. I couldn't control it. I want to I wanted be sitting in my office doing work and getting ready to call you and annoy you to remind you to come to leadership class on Saturday. And I want to be doing that and all of a sudden get distracted by Jesus. I want to be walking down the street and all of a sudden Jesus comes to my mind. I want to daydream about him. I want, to, I want to flirt with him again. I want to get dressed up really nice just to spend time with him in the morning. I'm tired of waking up at 6 in the morning trying to pray before God, and I've got sleep in my eyes, and my breath stinks. And, you know, some of you are like, your breath is like that at 3 p.m., you know. But um, I, I told God, I said, God, I want to wake up in the morning, take a shower, get ready at 5.30 in the morning and stand before you and go, God, are you ready for our date? I don't want you to be my husband anymore. I want you to be, well, this is kind of weird for a guy to say, but I want you to be my boyfriend again. <laughs> I know it's kind of hard for guys to say that, but the Bible does refer to us as the bride of Christ. And it's okay because 
if we are the bride of Christ, I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about God having daughters, so you guys are the sons of God, too. So it's, it's all kind of weird and awkward. Um, um, but I said to God, I said, God, I want to date you again. I miss dating you. I miss, they could sing any song. They could sing Here I Am to Worship for the 50,000th times and tears would begin to roll about down my eyes because there was only background music to the real scene, God. I remember when worship was only a soundtrack to the real deal. <laughs> oh, I, I, I miss when I wasn't a professional Christian. I miss being an amateur. I'm, I miss not being a pastor. I'm just, I'm just talking about my personal story. I'm not talking about you guys at all. I could care less. You guys are just listening. <laughs> you, you get to hear my prayer this morning. As I'm pleading before the Lord last night with tears in my eyes, I'm saying, God, I miss not being a pastor where I had no reputation, where I had no one to protect me. If, if the guy made an altar call about sin in my life or anything, and I would just go down, even if I didn't have sin, even if I did have sin, and I would just get healed, and the guy with the stinky breath could pray for me, but the presence of God would still come on me. I miss it. I miss being able to walk down uh, the street and, and talking to you and people thinking that that guy's crazy. I said, God, I don't want to flirt with you again. I want to I see you Sunday morning and tell you, God, you're looking good. I miss sending you notes. One of the things I used to do is I used to write letters to God, love letters. I used to say, God, I really miss you. I haven't seen you since yesterday. I want to see you again. And then, of course, I would burn them because I didn't want anybody to think I was weird. <laughs> I miss being called a freak. Nobody calls me weird anymore. I mean, not in front of my face. <laughs> no, I, 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 miss, I miss being a teenager in church, and no one in our church would ever jump around because we were black church, so black people don't really jump, you know. But I remember being in a church, and, and during the worship song, I would just start jumping up and down in this church, and everybody would think, this guy is a weird guy. They would tell me to stop. I miss people telling me, hey, can you cool down your praise? You're too loud. You're too excited. I miss people telling me that. I miss people. <laughs> Thank you, Esther. <laughs> I remember being 15 years old and getting into my pastor's office every week because he would say, Dell, you have to stop doing evangelism by yourself on the weekend. You need to come to our church. I miss that. Nobody stops me from doing evangelism anymore. You know why? Because I've forgotten how to do it. You know what I miss? I miss the love I used to have with Jesus. The love that I wasn't reminded about every Sunday, but I was reminded about about every hour. Let's look at this last portion and then we're done. Here's the cool thing about God. He doesn't just tell you your problem. He gives you a remedy to your problem. Can you look at verse 4 in Revelation chapter 2? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Say this with me. Say remember, repent, and redo. First thing he says is I want you to remember. 
And, and this message I'm preaching this morning, it's loosely based on what I heard last night, but the guy said something that I, I remember doing. I don't know, you guys aren't old enough yet, but back in, back in high school, I, you know, I had these great friends, and we were like the best of friends. And I remember we didn't see each other for most of our college years, and so we didn't reunite till a couple of years ago. And I remember I reunited with one of my best friends and, uh, from high school, and we got together, and all of a sudden, we started remembering all the stupid stuff back in high school. Like, I remember we started, like, we hadn't seen each other, hadn't remembered high school, hadn't thought about it, and then we get together, and we start remembering. I remember when we, we brought this memory back. He's like, dude, you remember when you were in lock-in, and you wore all yellow to the lock-in, like bright yellow, and nobody knew you? I was like, dude, I was dumb. He was like, yeah. He was like, remember when you were actually skinny? I was like, no. It's like, remember, you almost had a two-pack, like, it was, believe it or not, ladies, it was true. It was true. I almost had a two-pack. I couldn't afford six. <laughs> um, uh, he said, remember at lock-in, there was that one girl. Remember that one girl, the skinny little pretty Filipino? She came up to you, and she wanted to dance with you, but you didn't know she was flirting with you? It's like, dude, I remember, like, having her come up, because there was this girl. She came up to me, and I, I was very, like, I was ex- extrovert. I was loud, just like I am now. But when it came to girls and relationships, I was very shy. Like, I, I just couldn't handle it. I would get nervous. I was actually really naive. If girls would flirt with me, I had no idea. And so this girl came up to me, and what, if you know me, I hate to dance. I just, oh, I don't like to move. There's just too much man body to be moving around, right? Um, and this girl walked up to me, and she said, hey, Del, um, you, you want to dance? And she had long, pretty hair. She had, like, fake eyes, contacts on. And, um, and she like, that was the thing back then, like, to wear these, like, cat looking eye contacts, it was crazy, but it was sexy back then, you know, Um, and I remember looking at her, and in my head, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this girl is so hot, and if we could go out to coffee or lunch or something, that would be great, but I don't want to go dance, and so I looked at her, and I go, oh no, I'm not much of a dancer, and she touched me on my arm, she said, no, come on, let's just dance, and I didn't realize that it was soul music, and she wanted to dance with me, but I'm thinking, no, it's okay, I don't want to stop, you know, I remember, (laughs) And I, re- and I remember my friend walking up to me and be like, dude, what did that girl want? Oh, she wanted to dance with me. Why did you dance with her? Oh, I don't like to dance. Dude, she wants you. No. Dude, she absolutely, no. It's, and all of a sudden, as we're sitting together and me and my friends start talking about old times, we start remembering. You know what we started thinking? Man, I wish I could go back to high school again. My friend actually had that thought so hard that he actually became a tutor again for our old high school. (laughs) No lie. (laughs) Interesting, because Jesus says the first step to getting your first love back is to remember. He says, I want you to remember. Remember when you went to winter camp and that feeling that you felt, and then two weeks later you thought it was fake, but I want you to remember. Just let's start off by remembering that first one. Then what does he say? He says, then the next thing you do is repent. Say repent. Repent. Come on, say repent. Repent. Now, a lot of you know my definition of repent, which is based on the Greek for metaphora. It means to change the way that you're thinking. Are you with me? I got a new definition last night from the speaker. He said this amazing thing, and if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. He says this awesome line. He says, repentance isn't really repentance if you just turn and go a different way. He says it only becomes repentance when you turn from your sin and you walk into the loving arms of who Jesus is. I thought, man, that's real repentance. 
Because in the arms of Jesus, I can't sin anymore. I can't mess up anymore. I can't be insecure anymore. I can't be bitter and angry and have unforgiveness in my heart. With Jesus, I'm just loved. It's like the story of the prodigal son. You know the story of the prodigal son. He goes, and I wish I had time to like really get into there because there's so much revelation, but he goes and the Bible says that he's eating out of a pigsty. And you know what the Bible says he first did? You know what the Bible says? It says he, he remembered. Catch this. He's lost all of his dad's money, but he remembered that even in his father's house, servants have food to eat. All of a sudden, he started saying, maybe I can go to my father and I could say to him, just make me a servant. I know I don't deserve to be a son, but make me a servant. If you're going to go and you're going to repent, you're going to have to do it in humility, friend. Do it in humility. He comes back home. And and here's what you got to understand. What the prodigal son did to his father was one of the most disrespectful things you could have ever done to a father. You could actually be stoned. Most likely, elders were sitting by the gates of the city. And when the the elders were in charge of who got stoned and who who didn't get stoned. And so this guy, this young little prodigal son, is walking back to his father's house. And I can imagine because the Bible says that his father sees him from a distance. You know what that tells me? That his father was out there looking. That even though he had run off with all the money, all the inheritance, and he had lived his life lavishly, that the dad was still outside looking and saying, maybe today is the day he's going to come back. And I know it's hard for you guys sometimes because I'm hard on you guys, and I know I'm tough on you guys. But here's what you got to remember, that God's not as tough as I am. That when God looks at you, he says, I know, man, I know he didn't want to worship today, and I know he didn't want to lift his hands today, and I know he doesn't want anything today, but maybe tomorrow, and he comes back out tomorrow, and he goes, today, is today the day that he's going to come back? No, he didn't come back today, okay. Comes back, and then tomorrow, he comes back, and he looks out, and he goes, is, t- is today today? The prodigal son's father looks out, and he says, that's my son. The Bible says he ran to him. He lifted up his skirt, and for a guy to do that, I mean, First of all, guy's wearing a skirt, but um, yeah. Second of all, for him to lift up his skirt was totally outside the norm, especially for a guy who was as rich as this prodigal son's father was, to go out and to go get him before he ever entered the gate. You know why that's so important? Because the father knew if the elders had seen the son coming back, they would have stoned him and tried to hurt him. So you know what the father did? The father picks up his skirt and he runs out and he Bible says he tackles, he pretty much tackles this guy. You know what that tells me? That if the elders were going to kill this guy, they were going to have to kill the father too. Doesn't that sound like Jesus to you? First thing you do is remember. The second thing you do is repent. But understand that when you remember, all of a sudden your heart longs to repent. Repentance is not difficult when you remember. When you remember what your relationship was like before you had sin, before you had addiction, before you had brokenness. You repent. But here's the last thing, and this is probably one of the most important things. Everybody say this with me. Say redo. Say redo. Remember when you were in elementary school, you played kickball? I was normally the guy who got picked first because I was huge. I wasn't the best at kickball. I was average. I was all right. But I remember I was the guy who always wanted redos. You would throw the ball, and you got to be, it can't be too bouncy. It can't be too rolly. It'll be a little bit bouncy. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so if it wasn't perfect and then it had to come right here because I was just going to kick it and I was going to blast it. And so I remember they would say, and it would come back too rolly. And you know what I'd say? Nope, redo. 
<laughs> and then it'd be too bounding. Out. No, redo. Professional. And then it would be really perfect after a couple redos. And I'd be like, and sometimes I would kick it so hard that my shoe would like fall off or something. But I remember when it got perfect, you know what happened? That ball, that sucker, like it went out. But if I settled and it was too bouncy or it was too rolly and I just said, oh, it's okay. I don't want to be annoying. You know what happened? I usually got out because I would usually kind of kick it. And then somebody like the, oh, didn't you hate when the pitcher caught your ball? Like, didn't you feel like a failure in life? Like, like failblog.com. Like, like, oh my God. No, I hate you. <laughs> like you're five years old, but you want to murder someone right now over a kickball game. I don't remember. If it wasn't perfect, normally I would kick the ball and the pitcher would catch my ball and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to catch your balls, you bastard. I'm, I, no. I forgot where I was. I started remembering way too much. Um, and I would usually get out, right? Here's what I want to tell you. If you don't learn how to redo and then redo and then redo until you get it perfect, you're going to end up becoming (laughs) doo-doo. Some of you have messed up and you have fallen far away from God and you have stayed far away from God. Let me tell you, friend, here's the thing about God, that he's the most amazing pitcher that you'll ever have. And if you need to redo it again, he'll say you can redo it again. And if you mess up, even after you said you wouldn't mess up again, he says you can redo it again. I'll make it a little more bouncy this time. I'll make it a little more rolly this time. Whatever you need. Do you need me to come and visit you in the midnight hour? Do you need me to come and touch you in the middle of Sunday service? Whatever it is, all you have to do is just redo. No, you're hurting and you're broken and you don't feel like it. But God is begging. He's saying, will you, will you just redo? Remember, then repent, then redo. So what I'm going to ask you to do is you put away your Bible and your notepads. In a minute, I'm going to have John slip on some worship music. And I know for many of us, we, if, you're, if you're like I am, you, you're saying, I've tried way too many times. I mean, I try every Sunday. I try every winter, every summer camp. I mean, I did this at Bela, and it didn't work back then. Like, Pastor Dell, I'm tired of doing this. I'm telling you, just redo. Just remember. When the music comes on, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Some of you, I know, are not going to take this serious, but my hope is that some of you will get caught by the Holy Spirit this morning, and you'll get your first love back. I'm going to ask you to remember how it was before you were stuck in sin when it was just you and Jesus. Before you had the pressure of trying to be this amazing Christian that you feel like you could never be. Before you couldn't live up to the standard. Before you were obsessed with SATs in high school and where you're going to go for college. You know, before all that, remember how it was when you were, when you were flirting with God. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do is after you remember that you would repent, not just in word, but even in your heart, to begin to make conscious decisions that this is what I'm going to do differently. I'm going to repent. I'm going to remember. I'm going to repent. And then here's the last thing. I'm going to be committed to redo. 
that I'm not going to stay stuck. I, I might have lost my first love, but I'm not going to stay stuck. And you know what he said to redo? He, he didn't say redo your mistakes. You know what he said to redo? He said, I want you to do your first works again. When you were on fire for God, what would you do? Remember when you were on fire for God, how you lift up your hands higher than before, how you dance around, how you didn't care about who was next to you, how you actually paid attention to in the sermons and you tried to like get something out of God and whatever. Do you remember that? It's like, do that again. John, go ahead and play the music and we're just going to take a couple minutes. I just want you to spend some time with the Lord.